Well, for those of you that got uh, used to the one verse uh, scripture readings, I can tell you we it's payback today. <laughs> the scripture reading is from Acts, the second book, second chapter, uh, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was, be and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show <clears throat> portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Let us pray. God, grateful we are that it's Sunday again and we can gather in your name and be with one another and be encouraged and supported and sent out. God, as we have read those powerful words from, from Acts, we ask that you would help us to imagine what that power might look like and what that might mean for our lives and live in that power today and every day. For we pray this in your name. Amen. 
Today we begin a new uh, preaching series called Church on Mission. It's going to be taking us through the book of Acts, as you've already guessed. It's really about the early church and what happened in the early church. And it gives us an opportunity to glean from those reminders of that early church of what the church can be and is called to be uh, today. Last week, I felt like I finally understood that passage uh, of the transfiguration, that place where Jesus was glorified with Moses and Elijah, and the disciples said, let's build some tents, and we'll just kind of live here. And of course, as soon as they said that, poof, all the glory was gone, and they had to go back down the hill, back to the world. Last week was one of those times in the life of this church as we lived in the Lenten story. Those times of worship. Of course, Easter was a reminder of who we are as a church and what it means to be the church and the glory of God's faithfulness that leads us and guides us. As we have come through Lent, we have been reminded of the story, the story of all stories, Jesus was executed on a Friday. Everyone thought it was over. However, everyone was wrong. It was a new beginning. On Sunday morning, a few women showed up at Jesus' tomb to pay their final respects. They made a discovery that changed the world and our hearts and our lives. Jesus was alive. Jesus rose from the dead. Only a God thing could make that possible. A God thing that still brings truth and hope and possibilities to us this day. And after his resurrection, Jesus walked in this world for 40 days in that resurrected state. During that sacred time, Jesus did two things. First, he proved his was a bodily resurrection. In other words, Jesus wasn't a ghost. Secondly, he taught about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God that was coming. As Jesus ascended then into heaven, he entrusted the ministry of the kingdom of God to his disciples. On their own, the task of bringing hope to the world with the good news of the gospel would have been impossible. But when the promised helper, the Holy Spirit arrived, everything seemed possible. The church was created and Jesus' promised divine helper was changing lives. For example, we learn from the book of Acts that on a single day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus and found hope for this world and into the next. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship of like-minded people, and worship. The apostles were changing too. They were learning how to trust the Spirit. And with the help of the Spirit, Peter healed a man who had been lame from birth. And for this act of kindness and the following of the Spirit, Peter and John as well were arrested and interrogated by the Sanhedrin. And yet their ongoing commitment and faithfulness 
were unstoppable, short of death. Can you think of anything in life that is unstoppable? No. Nothing in this life is unstoppable. On this side of heaven, everything is stoppable. What is unstoppable is the things of God. God's love is unstoppable. Do you know that God will never stop loving you? Never stop pursuing you? Never stop forgiving you? Never stop calling you and inviting you to experience your purpose and fullness of life that comes from that discovery? Friends, the gift of the Spirit that came on that miraculous Pentecost day that Bruce just read about is a powerful reminder that there is one thing this side of heaven involving you and me that God anointed and appointed as unstoppable. It's the church. It's God at work through God's people. The faithful following of God's spirit by God's people in the world. This morning I offer the question, what comes to mind when you think of church? What you're thinking is likely different than what the first century believers thought and likely different than what God planned. From the beginning, the church was to be a movement of the Spirit. It was never intended to be just the work of humans, but an unstoppable work of God through humans. It's a movement to give witness to the belief that Jesus died as God's solution to the problem of sin and rose from the grave to prove he was who he said he was and did what he said he would do. The church's mission then became the mandate to offer this good news to the world in a variety of ways, as creative as we can be, including proclamation. Unfortunately, over the years, things have changed. Soon after Christianity became the acceptable religion in the Roman Empire, instead of being a people on mission, the church began to evolve as a place where one went for religious services. Friends, the danger of the church in every age is to cease being a movement and instead become a ministry that just provides services to people or a place simply to attend. Instead of a people on mission together, we become consumers of programs. This impacts where we need to be focused if we aren't careful. Because friends, the church was always intended to be looking out instead of being focused inward. This mindset could fundamentally change the way people relate to the church and how the church functions in the world. The church that becomes a place just to attend or an event to sit through instead of being a movement to which lives are being changed and then launched 
to do good for Christ's sake becomes an end into itself and certainly and eventually an end. Reading from Acts chapter 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait, to wait there for the promise of God. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. This morning, as we embark on this journey for the next few weeks, working our way through the book of Acts, the story of the beginning of the church, we start this morning remembering some of the key ingredients to the unstoppable movement of the Holy Spirit in and through God's people. The first ingredient is to remember there's a promise. In Acts 1, as I just read, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait, to wait there for the promise, the promise that they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit, the helper that Jesus promised, the gift of all gifts. Before Jesus' ascension, Jesus promised a gift to the disciples. That gift would empower and guide them until he would return one day. This gift was to be their authority. I believe the takeaway from this gift is that the lives of disciples and their missions were to be fully empowered by this gift and not by their own ability or ingenuity. Of course, we have skills and creativity that helps us to fashion how we as a community, how we as individuals carry out the call upon our lives as we follow the leading. But being too self-reliant on what we can muster on our own would suggest to us today that the church can live the Christian life independent of the Spirit. We cannot. The Christian life is a life lived in submission to and under the influence of the Spirit. It's what Jesus meant when he said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. That's the whole purpose. Apart from me, 
you can't do anything. What's true for us individually and what's true for us corporately, the life of faith and the church must recognize its complete dependence on the Spirit of God. To look for God's leading by the Spirit. To continue to entrust the church with the care of others in significant ways. In Acts 19, spoiler alert, we're not there yet. The Holy Spirit was a force to be reckoned with in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was in awe of the power and the presence of God. Lives were being changed in large numbers. But 30 years later, Paul spoke to the Ephesians and said, Well, I love that you have a passion for the gospel and the mission. And you're willing to be named as Jesus' followers in a godless culture. But you've lost your first love. Paul said, I appreciate the boldness you have in and through your human works. But you're trying to operate independently of the Spirit. And the church only works in and through the Spirit. We have a promise that God has given us. The second ingredient of an unstoppable church is the power that comes from the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Paul prays for the Colossians to experience an explosive infusion of power that the church would then be mobilized around. Paul prays for this reason since the day we learned and for this moment that you have heard it. We have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. His glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to God who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul's prayer is that the church would remember not only its first love, but the gift it was being given to carry out its essential mission, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's how the church will fulfill its directive. God gives believers power that it might be the living, breathing, walking testimony of God's love, acceptance, and amazing grace. Promise, power. The third agreement, third ingredient, is there's a plan. Chapter 1, 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Upon receiving the gift of the Spirit, the disciples were to become witnesses of the good news. 
beginning right where they were and then throughout the entire world. Quite simply, God's church had been commissioned to bear witness to the love and grace of Jesus Christ to every nation, to every people, to every ethnic group throughout the world, to everyone. How will this church continue to respond to that call? We stand on a strong foundation of our past where we have sought to do that in so many ways. But we stand on a foundation that's already been built. What will we add to it? What will we build on as we go forward? It's a question that the lay leadership, it's a question that your staff, it's a question that we have and need to continue to ask ourselves. That's why just recently our pastoral team invited a consultant to come and help us determine how we might become better connected with our Jerusalem. Helping us to clarify how we might be a greater blessing to this community and the communities right around us. How can we find those places where we can make a difference, make an impact, be a blessing? It's why Elaine Heltney, our missions coordinator, and the missions resource team is working to evaluate our current local and international ministry partners and determine the best ways for us to deploy our mission dollars and our resources and our mission opportunities, how we will then go out. The MRT, the missions resource team, is developing straightforward ways to incorporate our blessing initiatives and mobilize their ministry champions. So can this church, will this church come into focus again, focusing on God's plan and how we will offer and continue to offer this good news that we know that we believe, that we trust, that we find our hope in, in this building and well beyond. When you think about it, God's plan is both brilliant and bizarre. Brilliant in that God entrusts the sharing of this grace and mercy and love into the hands of humanity that can give authentic testimony of the transformational power of God. We know, we've experienced it, right? But it's bizarre because we can't be reliable witnesses all the time. And we certainly can't be reliable witnesses without living submitted to the Holy Spirit first. We couldn't be a more unqualified group for such an excellent task. And yet, we have been entrusted to do just that. And so we hold fast to the promise. We stay on plan. We trust God. I wonder if there's ever been a more critical assignment given to a less qualified group of people. But as someone once said, and here's the hope in it, God doesn't call the qualified. But through the Holy Spirit, God qualifies the called. That's the promise, friends. It's the plan. The last critical ingredient to this unstoppable movement 
of the Holy Spirit is the priority. Maybe the better way to suggest this is the question of where we will initially focus our priorities. What will we focus on going forward as a church? In Acts 1.14 it says, all these followers of the Spirit were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. Together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Church, if we are going to be led by the Spirit, will it not require us to, to know and follow the Scriptures? To be in relationship with one another in a way that encourages us? To be Spirit followers? and discern together God's leading through prayer. All the more reason for us to gather regularly to remind and encourage and direct one another, to hold each other up as we do the good work. J. Edwin Orr said, no great spiritual awakening has begun wherever in the world apart from united prayer. The revival that must start is first in our own hearts as we persistently pray for a revival in our own walk with God and then praying for God to awaken and mobilize the Western church and this church in new ways, standing again firm on our past, looking to a possible future. Friends, Pentecost brought such unspeakable joy to the early church, so much so that it, it could not hide it. It was glowing with excitement and bubbling with power, and all could see it. The Apostle Paul re writes, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. The power and joy of the Lord was on full display as the church of that first century was established. Pentecost became a once-in-history event to empower God's official witnesses and workers to the world. The world changed after Pentecost because of the church's influence. And it ought to be the same today. The church stands as a unique fellowship of believers and God's light in a world that is often dark. It is still to be a place that must welcome those who are lonely and tired and rejected and searching, searching in need of real love and grace and purpose. The church, this church, must be a place for healing and redemption and purpose. The church must be a place where the bound can be set free and where saints are prepared for both ministry and eternity. Because of Pentecost, we can, we can, and we can invite others to come without pretending 
We can then experience God's transforming power with all of our warts and blemishes and scrapes and scratches and differences. In the presence of God, we can find transformational love and acceptance in each other from God. Because that is what the church is and does by the power of Pentecost spirit. Is there an amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, let our amen truly be, so be it. So be it that you would have your way with us and all that that means. For we pray this in your name.